come in, must sit down, have a biscuit, have a bourbon, have a Jaffa cake, have seven, come in and enjoy Mitch Day's story time. Come in, welcome, sit down, please sit down. Um, do you want a biscuit, lovely biscuit, and a cup of tea? Oh, a cup of tea and a biscuit, or a hot chocolate, what would you prefer? Just um, just signal with your hands and I'll understand. Oh, that's what you want, lovely, okay. Well, just as well I have a very large biscuit tin, full of Fox's biscuits and um, any anyone else, anyway, I'm not sponsored, but if anyone would like to send me some biscuits, please do get in touch. Um, this is episode 12. No, it's not. This is episode... No, this is episode 12. This is episode 12, Good Girl Lewis, part 2. The next voice you hear will be that of Sharon Fossonale. name was James. As I explained before, he and his friends had been hanging about outside the shop beneath my apartment. They had frightened the life out of me and scared away my dog Lewis, causing her to get dog-napped in the woods. But then there he was, inside my home with me. I mean, can you believe? I was minus a dog and plus a teenager. He seemed an emotional lad, that James. I had wrongly assumed all teenagers outside shops had rejected all human emotions and accepted instead criminal activity and questionable body order. Is this your partner? He asked, gesturing to a small photo of me with my beloved Lisa. She was wearing a green dress which my mother had made for her. Me a blue one I'd bought in the closing down sale at CNA's. In that picture we're holding Lewis when she was just a puppy. We look happy. She was, I said, and that was enough for the boy to start tearing up again, so I left it at that. I was starting to warm to the boy. He was there with the promise of helping me get my stolen Lewis back from her awful dog nappers, and he didn't look at my partner and I in that photo and say, who is that, accusingly, or, oh, this must be your sister. Or struggle to find the right man, did you? What do we do? I asked, hoping to get straight to the rescue mission. And who are these people? The Williamses are nasty people, thieves and fraudsters, and they keep animals, lots of them. But they're on such a fancy street. Probably why they get away with it. Darren, the husband, he's a proper gammon, but his wife, well, she's the scarier of the two. Patricia Williams. Their sons went to my school, bad as their parents were. We went round once to play Xbox with one in my ear because I was uh, too scared to say no. It's a wreck in there. Cats, dogs, sometimes other things too. All in cages. Cages, I yelped. 
I couldn't help but imagine poor Lewis behind bars being intimidated by a Bichon frieze with an eye patch and an angry scar. But if Lewis, attacked by her cellmate and forced to retaliate, developed a taste for blood, she might start hiding sharp objects in my fruit bowl just so she could feel alive. How do we get in? I asked, imagining us tiptoeing across the hall like cat burglars. I've texted the others, he said, meaning his motley crew of giggling girls and littering boys. Some of them have said they're in already. We need all the help we can get. I was frightened of those youths, it was true. I'd lost sleep imagining they might incriminate me by snorting cocaine from the lid of my brown recycling bin and then setting a light to the red one. It gave me a chill down my spine just to think of it. How would the bin men tell them apart? I had to get over this prejudice of mine. I had to accept they might not actually be scheming to ruin my life. And that with James's say-so, they would actually help save it. We have to get Lewis out right away, I replied. But really, I was reassuring myself that I could cope with the situation. 30 minutes later, my sitting room looked at how I imagined a family planning clinic might. Despite the urgency, I felt compelled to fetch every one week squash and biscuits as though it was some kind of church fair. James, despite seeming so emotional, was suddenly full of drive and enthusiasm and impressed me greatly. Where I had failed to become the hero, he had stepped up to lead us and help save the day. The plan was formed, the group were ready, and I was apprehensive for us to start as soon as possible. We waited until dark and together began to walk to Saffron Road. We weren't walking arm in arm, but as we marched together, it felt as though we were. The Williamses were just settling down to their tea when something hit their window. Then another something. After the third object was thrown at them, I saw Darren Williams swing open his front door and hobble out into the street, wearing only baggy boxer shorts, ancient slippers and an open grey dressing gown that I could smell at a distance. He looked up and down the length of the street and scratched himself. I knew where the boys were hiding. Clearly, he did not. As he turned to go back indoors, I watched from my hiding place at the other end of the street as the next projectile flew through the air and landed right in between the folds at the back of his neck. The huge man swung round rapidly, suddenly broader and more intimidating. The pink roll of neck fat where the soggy ball of paper was lodged turned beetroot red and seemed to pulsate like a toad. His shoulders and elbows pushed out and he prepared himself for attack. Oi! he bellowed. The noise echoed down the street. I've never seen someone so outraged. Darren's head looked like it might actually boil. And his heavy arms raised up into the air like they were King Kong. If there were a tower block on that street, I certainly would have climbed it and roared from the top. His narrow eye squinted about the dark road until he located them. The boys were busted. You're dead. You're all dead, he shouted as he waddled his way towards them. And then 
In the doorway, I saw her, Patricia Williams, the most awful person I've ever met in my entire life. There wasn't much to be scared of on the face of it. She might have been pretty if it wasn't for the scowl and the quadruple layers of Max Factor. She had a kind of face that said Brillo pad in the knickers to me. Pure evil. When James had sold me this plan, my part sounded fairly simple. But now my moment had arrived, I was beginning to get stage fright. But before James could place a supporting hand on my shoulder to give me a gentle push, I summoned the courage to step forward on my own. Excuse me. My voice wobbled pathetically towards her. All part of the plan, I assure you. I waved my hands helplessly in the air like that woman on Popeye. What was she called? Olivia. Yes, I think it was. Anyway, I knew she would retreat quickly if I didn't get her interest, so I added, Those teenagers, they've been terrorising me for weeks and weeks. I've even offered a reward to sort them out, but no one will help me. The woman was either very stupid to buy this act or I deserve an Oscar for my performance. The word reward seemed to take 15 years from her face. Like the very idea of unexpected cash made her frown lines retreat inside. She looked at me like I was a talking piggy bank. You poor dear, she said as though I were in my 90s. My Darren will bring them back here and sort them out for you. Come on in, my love. A reward, you say. She led me inside. The smell hit me hard. Cigarettes, animals, vinegar and poo. If she ever launched Patricia Parfum, these would need to be the key ingredients to be authentic. As she walked me into the living room, I was struck by the numerous clashes of taste too or lack of taste, I should say. If Hornbase produced an evil couple range, that would almost certainly have been it. Down, she shouted at her bulldog, who was sat in the middle of a lime green armchair. When the dog failed to move as instructed, she slapped him. Can you imagine? Like a character from EastEnders, an actual open-handed smack. I was so furious, but I had to contain it. How did I manage? I had heard about animal cruelty, but I had never seen such a despicable act in the flesh. And this is how Patricia Williams behaved even with me, a complete stranger watching. I had to suppress my natural urge to push her head into the coffee table repeatedly until she died. Of course, I'd never laid a hand on anyone before and I couldn't have risked losing my Lewis by breaking character. Meanwhile, as Darren was busy chasing boys much younger than himself down the road, James and the two girls lowered themselves into the Williams back garden. There, whimpering and shivering inside a sealed box, my Lewis. I'm so grateful I didn't actually see it myself how she must have felt. I could weep now just thinking of it. They collected her from that awful prison and got back to the rendezvous point with ease. 
James then made the sound of a peacock and I could finally relax. The signal was made. Lewis was safe. Mission accomplished. Don't you move, my dear. I'm just going to check on Darren. There's a cash machine not far, just so you know, Patricia said as she left me alone in her house. I made to leave, but before I gripped the doorknob, I sensed a pair of eyes on me. The poor bulldog was there, staring up at me from the floor. He looked at me in such a way. All of a sudden, he was Lewis too. I mean, not as beautiful, obviously, but he had the gorgeous purity, truth and truly heartbreaking look of a dog that needed me. Lewis was safe, sure, but what about him? I considered picking him up and making a run for it, but then I heard noises coming from further inside the house. I remembered what James had described. Before I could stop to reconsider, I found myself opening the door through to some kind of utility room. Still urine and faeces was the scent in that room and the air was so thick and unappealing I knew it had been years since any of the windows had been opened. There were doorless kitchen cabinets sealed with chicken wire. Improvised cages containing malnourished kittens in such poor health that they had fleas caked into their pus-filled eyes. Behind some bins, a pile of almost newborn puppies, six of them. I knew straight away that only five of them were alive. The mother nosed it with a whimper. I learned that day what true hatred really feels like. What I had thought it was to hate previously was wrong. How could anyone allow that? It remains incomprehensible to me. I will never rid myself of those images. My eyes streamed with tears. If James had not helped me, this would have been my Lewis's future too. Forced to breed, not fed properly, and her puppies left to fend for themselves, and for what? How much money did their unsuspecting customers give them as a reward? I didn't care. Even a million pounds wouldn't be enough to convince me to behave like that. When Patricia re-entered her living room, she found I was no longer in it. She tutted, and realising the reward was probably gone, instantly returned to her natural facial age. Then her bulldog climbed onto the sofa again. Get down, you ugly piece of... She yelled as she lifted her arm to slap him. This time, finding her arm stuck in midair. She spun around to find me behind her, gripping her wrist tightly. Why don't you get down, you awful woman? I said before my forehead came unexpectedly smacking down onto hers. She fell limply to the floor and I very almost joined her. No matter how awful she was, and she was, I still regret resorting to her level. I regret it hugely which I suppose is what separates people like her from people like us. But in that one moment of violence, every bottled piece of angst was there, every snippet of aggravation. It was my long-held anger at Richard Hillman for what he did to Emily Bishop. It was my anger at the fear I held for those youths 
It was every girl that had been cruel to me at school. It was my anger and grief for losing my partner too young. Patricia was out cold. Darren, the largest and scariest man I'd ever seen, then appeared in the doorway. Oh, you? What have you done? He said. I've struck her, I said with confidence. I wasn't sure if struck was the best word. I didn't think that that man knew very many. I could see his brain working away to decide how to proceed, so I figured I'd help him out. Call the police, I said, gesturing to his phone on top of a sculpture of a black slave holding a tray. He stared back at me blankly. We both knew the police were not an option here. He stepped towards me and I readied myself. My instincts were telling me to smash him around the face with a dirty dinner plate from their coffee table. Go on, Mr. Williams. Tell them how you found my dog earlier and stole her. Tell them about the cages of abused animals and the corpse you have in there. Stop, called James from behind him, holding his phone up. I'm recording this, Mr. Williams. Don't you go anywhere near her. Ah, my associate, I improvised. What's going on? Come on, let's get out of here. Lois is with the others. She's rescued. I was relieved to have it confirmed. I could have walked away then and not looked back, but their bulldog waddled sadly to my side and placed a paw on my foot. He looked up at me and I knew I couldn't leave him. We're taking all the animals, I said, and the awful man started to pinken again. His terrible wife began to stir as well and attempted to stand. I gave her a stern down, which to my surprise she obeyed. I thought this might get James anxious, but he called for backup and the group of teens I had once feared joined us inside the house. Oh, Lewis, I called, and one of the girls passed her to me. She was so tired and distressed, she was limp in my arms. I held her closely to me and felt every bit of love I had for her connect us. A little face nuzzled into my chest. These animals are better than you, deserve better than you. We bring them into our homes and make them parts of our families because we want to feel loved. If we love them too and try our best, they trust us, but they don't have a choice about who they get. So I'm choosing for them. They're coming with us, all of them. Even the poor mite you've let die. I cannot bear to even leave that one puppy with you. You're not having any of them. Trevor, come here, now. Trevor, presumably the bulldog, did not move a muscle. Well, actually he did. He moved to stand behind me and stared at his awful owner through my legs. His female owner actually looked hurt, which astounded me. Did she really think that this animal could love her? Obviously she did. Obviously they both thought their exploitation was perfectly acceptable. Normal, maybe. Trevor, bellowed Darren. 
and I felt the dog flinch against me. Muscle memory. He'd heard that tone of voice before and he associated it with pain. I'll click the Facebook Live button, Mr Williams. Don't move. James? There's puppies, bitches and kittens back there. Be careful with them, I instructed. Now here's what's going to happen. We'll take these animals to good places and tell them they were found abandoned and you, you will never own any animal ever again. You can't tell us what to do, Patricia sniped, growing in confidence now the group of teens were moving into the other room. James's footage will be sent to the police if you do. It's time to stop this. Do the right thing. Be good people. Let these poor animals have good lives instead of this. You've got to pay for them. Thousand pound each, those puppies. You can't just take our living from us. I just looked at her. I looked at her so hard, I think I might have seen through the back of her skull. She broke the stair first. James's friends carefully carried every animal out and he filmed them all as they went. When the others had finished clearing the house of captives, I walked past her without another word, making sure to give the same warning look to her husband. Bye, James said, moving backwards out the door. Once he was clear, I slammed their front door shut. Well done, said James, clearly impressed. Thank you. All of you. Let's get these poor creatures to safety. Some of the neighbours were watching us from behind blinds and curtains by that point. I acknowledged them with a nod. And together with all the animals, we proudly marched away. I had six kittens in my bath sitting on towels. Four dogs lying together near squeaking puppies under the dining table and eight teenagers helping clean and feed them. Lewis had never looked so relaxed, not since we lost her other mummy. It took me a moment to realise the same was true of me. Maybe it had been my own tension that made my poor Lewis so jittery. My apartment was suddenly alive with life. The grief was still there, of course, but life as well. And the prospect of more life and more adventure lay ahead. I didn't believe I had any bravery left in me, but hiding on the other side of my fear, there it was. I picked up Lewis and I held her tightly. Thank you all so much. Thank you so, so much, I said, melting away into sobs. Ten weeks later. I must have been snoring this morning because that always prompts James to eagerly lick my neck and press down on my breasts. I should probably explain that I renamed Trevor the Bulldog James in honour of Lewis's saviour. Whilst the other animals had all been rehomed, I found I couldn't part with him. Lewis had the hots for that bulldog, I can tell you. She was his shadow. My new happiness was watching them fall asleep together by the radiator. 
there's never been a scene more cute in the history of pets. Today would have been my 30th anniversary with Lisa, but I feel okay. My new family of three was content. Every so often, the human James would pop by and visit too, and his friends would wave at me on my balcony whilst they ate their crisps and chattered. They all agreed to only hang about and make noise during reasonable hours, well away from the building, and to not litter, which was nice. And if any other random youths tried to take up precedence, they would ensure they obeyed the new rules too. We had all learned to exist together, and I couldn't have been happier. Every so often I would remind myself, I was brave. I am brave. And actually, so was Lewis. I'm looking at my little girl right now, in fact. There she is. We rescued your James, didn't we, Lewis? And we made lots of new human friends too, didn't we? Good girl. Good girl, Lewis. a sigh of relief. Little Lewis is safe and sound with her mummy and they have a new dog friend, James. Thank you very much to Sharon Fascinelli, brand new friend of the podcast, your invisible crown, sash and special Mitch Day Storytime uh, friend of the podcast, Pants, are in the mail. Um, how will you know when they've arrived? Well, you just have to look out for the invisible postman. Um, as for you, dear listener, um, I'll give you back your lovely coat with the feathers, um, which is uh, strange. Um, and um, if you could please give me five stars, please tell other people to listen and uh, leave a review, please. Pen a review. How many times do I have to beg? Well, I'll keep doing it until you do it. So um, it really does help other people find and see the podcast. So that would be fantastic. See you again, because I can see you, in episode 13, which features a story concerning a guinea pig. Well, not really, but there's a guinea pig element anyway. Um, Until then, goodbye.
we'll start again, shall we? <clears throat> and scratched himself. A Bichon freeze. The boy's name was James. As I Blah, blah, blah. I have done my warm-ups, by the way, <laughs> before I came on. A Bichon freeze. I bought in the closing down sale and seeing it. Oh, fond memories, yes, I remember seeing it. And scratched himself. A Bichon freeze. And scratched himself. A Bichon freeze. And scratched himself. A Bichon freeze. Freeze! <laughs> oh, who's my brave girl? Who's my brave girl? Is it you? Is it you? What would Ian McKellen do? That's what you must ask. Would Ian McKellen hit you round the face with a flask? He would. Would Ian McKellen stick a stick in some dog poo? Would he put it in your tea? Absolutely, yes, he would. <laughs>